What's up, humans? This is the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm your host, Amy Rahovchek. Big thank you for checking us out. That was Steve Taylor. Steve is a longtime sales leader and currently the founder of Think HR and Insurance Services. And today, we get into how a specific goal and the discipline to pursue it will always yield results. I started this podcast to ask the top questions around how revenue is created, the questions no one else was asking, and to better understand the uncomfortable questions that followed. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll bring you a revenue human shaking up the business of sales, regardless of title. If you like what you're hearing, do tell a friend. I take that as the highest compliment. And with that, enjoy. Um, Steve, welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, Do you mind if I just get the business out of the way real fast? Sure, right. Why not? All right. So our target listener, our target audience is the experienced tech seller. Theme of the show, conversations about uncomfortable conversations and sales, of which I'm sure we have many many to choose from. Um, The only rule around here is that there are no rules. This is a judgment-free zone. This is a mistake-friendly zone. This is a (laughs) tangent-friendly zone. (laughs) And we just, we keep it very real. And so I I generally reserve the last 10 minutes for my final two questions. And sometimes I'll like share those with people. And sometimes I'll like kind of keep those close to my chest, but something tells me, sir, that you can handle it. So um, with that, like, I know we had kind of like, normally I'll write down a, a list of things that I want, that we could possibly talk about. Right. And then I would turn it back over to you. However, however, listeners, this is Steve and and my, I think this is technically our fourth conversation and the third conversation, like Steve was like, he saved my ass (laughs) It's the best way that I could possibly explain this. And so anyway, for right now, Steve, as we're still like even getting to know each other, I, I think that your story and starting with your story is a great place to start both because I, for one, am very interested and I know that the listeners are too. Okay. What part of the story do you guys want? I got a lot of parts. <laughs> I mean, I, it's really it's dealer's choice, but I like I like how did you how did you get into sales? Is one of my um, faves. It's interesting. I got into sales without knowing that I was uh, getting into sales. Um, so uh, some people know this about me. I was an athlete at UCLA, ran track and field there, um, got a scholarship, and I was a triple jumper and a long jumper, and. The real story goes, you know, a lot of people think like, man, you know, that must have been awesome. You know, they they picked you out of like a crowd of whoever. And, you know, you were one of the lucky folks who got chosen, right? Mm-hmm. There's some recruiter in the stands. He saw you. Well, my story actually was I was graduating June 2006. I grew up my entire life uh, wanting to be a college athlete. Um, I wanted to go to Georgetown um, because that's where, you know, I thought like, you know, I would play basketball and become an NBA player. And when I pictured my life at like 24, 25, I always saw myself in a suit. I always saw myself uh, driving a nice car, having a nice place, uh, being able to take care of uh, my parents, buying them a house, like the NBA dream, right? Yeah. And then I remember seeing Space Jam as a kid, and I was convinced the first Space Jam uh, that came out in like 96 or whatever, um, in the beginning scene, right before they play that, like, you know, Space Jam song, jam, you know, like, and it's really exciting. Oh, yeah, I remember Michael Jordan sitting there with his dad and he's telling him his dreams, right? He's like, you know, I want to go to the NBA. And he said, oh, you know, well, he's like, well, first, you know, 
you got to, you know, go to school or whatever. And then he like kind of gave him the ball. And then he like looked at his dad and he just went up for a dunk. And they didn't show the little kid dunking, but it was interesting. He like had this look in his face and he was going for it. Then all of a sudden it turned into him, you know, jumping from the free throw line at Duncan. And I was convinced at eight years old, I was like, oh man, he's like six or seven right there. I'm already behind. I got to learn how to dunk. So when I was about 10, I was about five, one, five, two, uh, I was starting to get a little taller and um, I started going to the park. Right. And mm. learning to play basketball with some of the older folks. Cause I was starting to join a team. And what was nice about it is the guys at the park did not take it easy on me. Those, those guys used to like throw me on the ground and all that stuff. And I, yeah. I told them to, um, and I remember when I was about 11, I was starting to be able to touch the backboard when I would do layups and I was like five, six or so. Then in seventh grade, I was about five, seven, five, eight. And I was just dead set on being 12 years old and being able to dunk. So I asked some of the guys at the park, what, what do I need insane, to do This is insane, by train? the way. Did anybody pull you aside and be like, you know, you're just, just so you know, this is and it's like insane talk, but okay, probably not. Probably that was encouraged. They, but th- you know what? They, they would kind of laugh, but like they, you know, kind of just saw me do things that they didn't see other little 10 and 11 year olds doing at yeah. the time. So they, they yeah. used to call me a uh, baby boy. That's what they called me. Um, <laughs> I had, a, I guess I had a nickname. Um, but I remember one of the guys told me, I live by the beach in Oxnard, uh, Port Wainimi Beach. Uh, shout out to the 805. <laughs> uh, but I remember the guy told me, hey, you know what? If you do calf raises and you go do sprints on the beach, you, you'll be able to jump out the gym in no time. So every day when I watch The Simpsons from 6 to 6.30, 7 to 7.30, and if I was able to sneak up late enough, 11 yeah. to 11.30, yeah. I did calf raises. And then I ran on the beach with my dog, Ralph. and Within four months, I didn't know I was able to dunk, but I remember going to my first uh, game before like uh, my birthday in July with a traveling team. And I went up for a layup and I remember my coach saying, damn, man, your hand's above the rim. And I said, no way. And he's like, yeah. And I was just able to palm the ball and I was five, seven and I went up and I, I dunked. Wow. And um, then I couldn't stop. Then I tried it in a game and I, I definitely fell down on my on my ass. But, you know, uh, it, it was it was interesting. So at that moment, I was so far. Not only was I like five, six, five, seven, which was a lot taller than some of my other, you know, folks around me, but I was so far ahead of other people in terms of being able to dunk and uh, being able to jump that high that I didn't live on Earth anymore. You know, so like my wait, mind. So like, translate that, yeah. What did you learn? I learned that if you can see it, and you can believe it. Like you can, I mean, you could do it. Yeah, I, I believe I can fly, right? That's Space Jam. Uh, but no, but um, but you know, can I say I'm sorry to interrupt you? I just yeah. have to say, like, you know what I heard? I heard the fucking work, man. I heard you put in the work, and you were out there, and you made that decision every. So I grew up on the beach too, man. And mm-hmm. also, I I don't did I ever tell you I worked with American University's basketball team in college? No. Did we talk about that? Okay. Yeah, for four years. Anyway, so we played Georgetown. That was mm, anyway. So. I know how hard it is to run on the beach. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and like, even for five minutes, let alone like, and so as you were sharing that story, I just thought about the decision every single day, right. To get up. I'm not sure if you for if you put, like, if you stopped at the symptoms or you listened to it while or whatever that, that, but you made that decision every day for 30 minutes and the discipline, I mean, I'm, it is very impressive and rare for as what was it seventh grade you said yeah seventh as, grade. As, 
Yeah. And so I like, I love that. Like if you see it and believe it, like it can be yours, but again, the dis, there's a lot of people that, that see and, and think that they believe, but talk about the gap and and missing that next step, which is now you got to fucking do the work. Oh, by the way, you're allowed to curse on my show. Oh, um, phenomenal. <laughs> Effing phenomenal. No, it'll, it'll, it'll come out when it's right. You know, the thing is, it's, um, um, I always really believed in this maybe from uh, uh, growing up uh, with pretty f- like faith driven, uh, you know, family like uh, my dad's side of the family, the Taylor family. They were very um, faith driven. My grandma, you know, would always uh, say prayers. And, um, you know, growing up, I went to a, uh, a Christian school and then going to the Christian school, we had to study uh, Bible verses. And I remember I said to myself, you know what? Nobody enjoys praying more than my grandma and my grandpa and my aunt and my uh my two aunts uh Gwen and Linda and I love them all dearly but um what was nice about that was I called them up and I practiced all the time and they they would tell me they'd do it again say it again because we had to have it memorized mm-hmm. I can do it 90 90 something times right and there was something about like that that practice whether it be a spiritual practice or you know if you um have a religion whatever it may be you find something where I just really believe that if I was given a vision, it was there because only I could see it and I, it was up to me to do it. And for me, it would bother me every day until I like was able to recognize it or have it happen. And, and then, yeah. you know, I started to learn how to take dreams and I had a very vast imagination and bring them into reality. And then, so I tell this story really to uh, kind of jump into even like uh, high school. Well, you know, going into high school, um, I broke my leg my last day at eighth grade. Uh, it turned out I grew from five seven in eighth grade to six one, and um, my legs were strong to the point where they pulled off part of uh, my tibia bone on my growth plate. And I was sitting there. Um, I remember in <laughs> just literally sitting there in uh, my bed all summer, and all these coaches from different private high schools were coming. Hey, you got to have a scholarship to come here, and blah blah blah. And I remember telling one of the coaches, I said, Hey, look. Number one, I'm, I'm going to my high school in my neighborhood because my neighborhood and where I come from, I, I want it to be represented in my success. And they said, well, what about your future and, you know, going to college and all that? And I said, well, your school isn't going to be the thing that gets me into college. It's going to be me. Right. And honestly, if you're telling me that I'm, I'd be further behind by going to this school, that means on the other side, I'll have the skill set to go to the school of my choice. And um you know, there was a certain level of respect I got at that age, being 13, sitting in bed with the cast all the way up to my uh, thigh, <laughs> can't move my leg and, and kind of denying a scholarship because I, I wanted to be with um, around the friends and the people that um, I was around because if I knew I was going to make it. But when I did make it, I wanted everybody around me to know that it's not where you're from. It's not what your where conditions you are. It's yeah. where you're at and where you want to be. And then that journey along the way. That's the growth. And that growth is where all the skill sets are. And those skill sets are going to be the things that nobody can take from you. Um, I love it. Okay. So let's bring this, let's bring this back. When did you choose and when and how did you choose to start the sales journey? And then I want to, I want to talk about what comes next. Yeah, it was an accident actually. Um, I remember graduating from UCLA. um, Last track meet, did finals, celebrated graduation. 
Monday after graduation, dad's like, Hey, you got to go get a job. I said, okay, well, shit, right. I got to get a job. Right. So I remember I'm um, calling up, um, I, I got in touch with the recruiter. His name was Ross Lerner. Great guy. Okay. And, um, what's up, Ross? yeah, what's up, Ross? I don't know if he's still doing, uh, athletes to business or whatever it may be, but I remember I described him and I said, Hey, you know, I want to be a lawyer. And, um, you know, I had a lot of internships that I, uh, cold called into myself. Um, in college. And, you know, I just told him, I said, Hey, you know what? I don't really know what I want to do, but I always imagined myself with tall in a place where there's tall buildings like New York city, wearing a suit, standing in front of a boardroom and making presentations. And what jobs would I be doing that? And he said, you would like sales. And I said, what the hell is sales? And he explained it to me. And I said, well, okay, so I'll look at that interviewed at like probably like five or six different jobs. They all wanted to hire me. But one thing I couldn't make sense of was, hey, well, how much are you guys going to pay? They said, oh, you can make like 200, 300 grand here. Okay, phenomenal. Uh, what, what would be my quota? You need to have three sales a month. Great. What, what do you get paid per deal? Like a hundred bucks in commission per deal. Okay, so what's my base? 30 grand. Wait, what? How am I going to get to $200,000? And then I looked around and nobody else seemed to like have it. So there was one company that made it really easy for me. They're like, hey, there's first aid kits. You go fill the first aid kits, you get 10% commission. Phenomenal. That sounds good. So I signed up for that job because it actually made sense. Right. And I figured, you know, I'll take this right now and then I'll figure out what the next thing is. Well, I ended up doing really well and doubling my routes production. And um, they blessed me with the old, hey, you're doing such a great job that we're going to give you more territory. And what that ended up meaning was I was working harder because I optimized my route to only work half days almost, um, to now having double the route. And one of my clients was actually paychecks that I acquired. And I remember I was filling up one of their kits and I saw that there was nobody in the office and, you know, I didn't know outside sales at the time, but there was a manager in there and this guy ended up uh, changing my life. I really, really, uh, like the guy's name's Bill Lynch. And I walked into his office and I said, Hey, you know, I saw you guys had a hiring sign and it just seems like a sales department. I mean, you guys hiring? And he said, well, you know, send your resume. And so before like, I even got back to my truck or whatever to go put the first aid stuff back in, I, I got yeah. my resume to him. Uh-huh. And I remember in the interview, he said, well, why would I hire you? And I said, sales is about getting results. And I don't have any sales experience, but I had a track and field scholarship at UCLA and nobody came and reached out to me, actually cold called my way into uh, getting a scholarship. And he said, well, son, if you can get a track and field scholarship cold calling and you can get the results and keep your scholarship, you could sell payroll. And I didn't want to disappoint them. So then, yeah, that's pretty much how I started uh, <laughs> doing amazing. sales. That's amazing. Okay. So paychecks, we've spoken about this, right? So I told mm-hmm. you how I cold called the ADP mm-hmm. multiple, multiple times, stock them out. I wanted major accounts. Ah. <laughs> and I, um, the blessed I had ones. Just- I, I know, but that's what it was. I had just decided I was going to go into sales. My dad was a sales VP and he too, we had an interesting conversation about the difference between being a work producer and a work processor and how like the skills that you acquire, the growth, your journey on the work producer, mm-hmm. you know, track, right? All the good things that come that way. So I was like, sign yeah. me up. And then anyway, so I'm looking around and I did some research. I don't even know how you one did research. I'm sure it was on the internet of some kind, but like probably AOL, like who are we kidding? Read it like Google or researching who has the best sales training program because I knew that I wanted to get trained. And so that was the ADP at the time. That's the one that kept coming up at the top. And so I, of course, looked at the business models. 
but anyway, who, who cares about that? But I, yeah, major accounts. That was entry. So anyway, now. I wasn't that sophisticated. Mine was more like, I don't know who gets paid what, but I remember having an internship and asking one of the lawyers at my internship how much they got paid. They said 80K. And I said, yeah. that's not enough. So I don't right. want to work here. Right. Yeah, um, it was a good choice. Have you seen you? I sold into legal. So there's a, there's a lot of people that I'm sure, you know, could go turn back the clock like that. But anyway, do you ever think about it? Like, what if I had become a lawyer? Well, no, uh, not exactly. But later on, after I started doing HR for a while, uh, uh-huh. or HR sales and kind of graduating into it, I kind of got a lot of my like legal bug out of it. And I just love things that are black and white. I, I mean, uh, it's okay, kind of like terrible it. to say, but I actually really enjoy compliance and I love HR and I love, uh, I love payroll and taxes. And the reason oh I like this God, stuff is because wow. I think my favorite thing about it is people say, um, like, Oh, HR, that's like not a revenue maker. And I'm like, yes, it is. That's where all the money is it's because people. it's in the people, yeah. because the people, the people are the ones who are going to create your processes and the processes are going to be the thing that you enable with technology to help you scale. Right. Yeah. So I honestly like, loved it. And, um, I got into uh, law school, um, cause I saw my LSAT scores were about to expire. And I said, you know what, let me see if I could get in. So I applied to a bunch of places and I remember getting on the wait list at Southwestern and, um, not being happy about that. Right. So I just cold called the, uh, one of the deans and said, Hey, can I, can I stop by? And I totally don't think I had any other, um, any other, uh, like things where I was on the fence like that. And I just told him, Hey, um, since I'm on the fence, if you guys tell me like, you know, you, you're ready to go and I, and I get off the wait list and on, I need to make a decision quickly. So I want to talk to you guys. So I went over there and I talked to him and I basically convinced him to let me in. And within 24 hours, I remember getting an acceptance letter. <laughs> then I didn't end up going because I was like, you know, it doesn't actually make sense because I don't have a track team and I can't get a scholarship. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, yeah, you know how I landed in DC? I was oh. I it was a model Congress competition in high school. It was mm. tri-state, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. And I uh <laughs> I'm very competitive. And so ended up it was like a, a year-long thing and ended up taking first place. And turns out that was very marketable, very marketable in DC too. So that was like the the way in. But enough about our wins. I find mistakes and losses and or yeah. pivot periods or challenging like freakouts right? yeah. or presentations to be far more interesting fodder these days, sir. So like speaking of which, the, the like two times ago that we spoke, you were talking about Ah, the decision ahead and like what to do next and, you know, finding, finding the path and finding that joy and, and the value that we bring to others and work-life balance and, but not in a hokey way. So that's where we left it. And then you started off the conversation by saying that your wife and you had a, a conversation last night and you think that you figured something out. Yeah. So yeah, tell, I mean, tell our listeners, like, take, take us a step, take them a step back and then, then we'll move forward. And then it'll almost be time for the last two questions. There you go. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, basically one thing I've always struggled with and to my detriment at times, even earlier in my career, like first two years selling, um, people have always told me, Steve, you got to start your own business. What are you doing working for somebody? Right. And, you know, at times I let that, you know, get to my head and impact how well I was doing in my job. I was actually almost on letter and fired because not because I didn't have the skill, but because it was hard for me to work. 
because I was just like, oh, I should be able to get this promotion or whatever, right? Uh, and, I, um, I know I don't know what that feels like at all. Like, I yeah, this like relate. sense of entitlement. Yeah, I no, like I got the skill is... set to go over here, so put me over there, or I'm not doing anything. <laughs> that and then is two never... months go by, and my pipeline's down, right? And I got no more, no more shit I can talk. So, um, and I remember, I remember in that conversation, the uh, manager saying, "You know, Steve, I don't know if you're running towards something or from something right now." And I said, "Hey, well." If I get over 100% of plan in the next three months, can I come back and interview for this promotion? They said, yeah, I guess, sure. I came back and I got the job with, and, and, and never looked back. I was never under plan again. So like what, what ended up happening was, you know, my wife, she's an investment banker. And we met back in like 2014 here in L.A. And um, it, was, it was really great because she, she brought the New York kind of East Coast uh, finance world into my life because in California when she said hey you know I work for a bank uh, I didn't know that like I was like well yeah, so work for a bank that's cool I work with banks we should do referrals she's like not that kind of bank an investment bank <laughs> and um, and you know and then I started to learn more about finance and I started to learn that I was great at sales and talking about things uh, I guess more qualitative than quantitative. And I was actually coming from a very quantitative place, but I couldn't express it. Um, and she really taught me how to do modeling and financial modeling. And once I started doing that and started seeing the value of sales, and then as I've like gone further and further and deeper into my career, um, and most recently, I, I just get to this point where I can't unsee how much and how impactful sales is to the whole yeah. business. Yeah. Um, so now I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm just like, I'm having a hard time figuring out like, well, what job should I take? Who should I go work for? And I get bored very quickly in jobs because I kind of figure it out and I want to do the next thing, but that's not what they want you to do. So she just told me straight out, Hey, you just got to start your own business. Let's just, you've, we've made, we've, you've made the money. You've done really well. I'm doing really well. It's time to just go. So she just said, you know, like, think about what you want to do. And, you know, come back. And I've been playing around with a lot of different ideas. I said, you know, I can go into tech or I could do this or I could do that. And always try to do everything but what I've been doing the last 10 or 10 years or so, which was HR, insurance, payroll. And I love it because originally I chose the industry because I said, if the economy's up, great, you need HR and you need insurance. If the economy's down, phenomenal. <laughs> you need HR and you need insurance. It's not going anywhere. And I love those two um, those two topics with people, right? Because it, it, it's a big part of the business. So, you know, we've just made the decision that, hey, I'm going to focus on doing my own insurance brokerage and then helping companies out with HR sales and finance, right? And helping them consult. We're really focusing on the insurance side and then the HR side, helping them set up the infrastructure, how are they going to grow the team, how are they going to do resource planning, all those things. And um, hey, do I know exactly how everything's going to play out? No. But I built a model and I looked at the money. And then when somebody asked me, hey, do you want to take a job? I'm like, I can't afford that job yeah. because I'm too excited about what, what's ahead in the future. Yeah. And um, it took a long time to get here. I've been wanting to start my own thing for like since I was like 15. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so. So, yeah. So, OK, if I may. You may. That is that's awesome. And. I I'm excited for you. I'm excited for the new learning curve. Thank you. Right. Cause there will be one, right? So, but you, as you confidently describe the psychology of teaching and then the base of the learning pyramid, um, I'm sure you've, you 
are in great hands because you're in your own hands and you have that demonstrable experience with the like true learning cycle, which by the way, friends, friendly reminder does include some failures along the way. So God damn it. I lost my cord again. I told you I'm like a a nuisance to myself. No, but this is exciting. This is exciting. I'm excited for you. I can't wait to circle back. I am excited to hear what your first round of discovery conversations sound like with your potential buyers, right? Because that's where you'll learn a great deal, right? All the best laid plans. Yeah. Well, (laughs) the great part about it is it's the same conversations I've been having with over 5,000 companies the last 10 years, Yeah, you know, and it's, um, and really what I'm most excited about is getting to the point uh, where I could take my retained earnings and hire other people and then train them and help them get to where I'm at right now faster than I was able to get to. Yeah. Um, And hopefully giving them the uh, principles and fundamentals and structure so that they can then build their own wealth for whoever it is that they need to go build it for. Because ultimately, I just want to give people the formula and uh, help them succeed because, you know, it's not really about me per se. It's more about what what can I do to help other people grow faster, stronger than than I did. Right. That, that's that's really what um what the goal is or the purpose is for me. You're speaking, my, you're speaking my love language. Um, yeah, I know this is what I, I feel you. This is why I pivoted to sales enablement. It was the place where I can have the biggest impact on for, for and with my people. Um, okay. So let's, let's do our last two. So what is the most uncomfortable conversation? Actually, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? Okay. So we're going to have to now let's just do it. What is the most uncomfortable conversation that you've ever had to have during your like sales career or revenue career? And we're talking with buyer, with a client, with a prospect, with a boss, with a peer, with a hiring manager, with a, um, uh, an employee with, you know, whatever a spouse, right. There's, there are, um, you know, ripple effects to, this position, right. And not allowing wellness and mental health into the conversation. And so anyway, dealer's choice again, but the most uncomfortable one, the most uncomfortable conversations. um, Tell us a story. Honestly, the most uncomfortable conversation I ever had was when I took a sales director role and I hired a team. And then I had to tell the team that I was uh, leaving and what made that so uncomfortable was I didn't think I was so special in the sense that people would necessarily come to work specifically for me because I never really like thought about it that way or at least work. Right. I always think people do things in like their, their self-interest and I try to position it a certain way. And I think when I had to tell them that I was leaving, I felt like I was really letting them down because they were happy for me. But man, they, they, the, like the things that they would, t- they were telling me like, man, I was really looking forward to learning from you. I was really looking forward to spending some time and working with you. And like the thing that, that, that kind of killed me a little bit because I had worked like two and a half, three years to get the role. And I felt like it was one of those roles I should have had a lot earlier. Um, and then when they finally did give it to me, 
and I was in the seat and I built the team up, you know, I, I left fairly quickly and mm-hmm. I left for an opportunity that I thought was, you know, like my next, my next step. And, and it wasn't a lot of ways cause it got me to where I'm at, but that was really uncomfortable because one of my greatest fears is uh, letting other people down. So that's partly why I share a lot of my goals with people because I know I don't like to let people down. So I'll uncomfortable. Yeah. So I'll uncomfortably tell people my uh, goals and plans <laughs> and then I have to stick to them. Um, but yeah, that was probably the most uncomfortable conversation because, you know, I, um, I really believed in every one of them. I believe that they were going to be okay. I believe that they're going to be great, but I really wanted to be a part of their success. Um, but I also had to learn and trust that I have to be responsible for my own journey and I can't save everybody. I got to do my best to put myself in the best position so that my cup runneth over and I can help other people. Um, which is, that was probably the most uncomfortable conversation I've ever had. Wow. Wow. I like, I don't even know what to say. Like, did you do, did you do it all at one time? Like in a general announcement or. I mean, I wasn't really happy with the way management like laid it out. I kind of felt like I was like, you know, in front of everybody and they're like, Oh, we're going to put you in front of the team. and You got to tell your team. I'm like, I mean, that kind of doesn't feel right, but, um, okay. Um, did it anyways. Um, it was uncomfortable because, yeah, you know, you don't want to disappoint people or uh, mm-hmm. let them down. Um, but, you know, I kind of got over myself and said they need to know so that they can move on. And, you know, I'm always going to be in the background. I still talk to some of them today. I reached out to one of the guys today. I ended up uh, I, I actually have a question for him because I need to learn something from one of them because uh, mm-hmm. they're they're a good. They're a good uh, resource for me. So I, I still talk to some of them mm-hmm. when they reach out and um, I still get you know, positive feedback. And apparently, you know, I was able to make an impact uh, with them at the time. And some of the things that I taught them in the, you know, few months that we worked together, they tell me they still use today, which is nice to hear. I just wish I had more time with them, uh, maybe again in the future, or I'll be able to help them out some other way. But um, but yeah, that that was like the most difficult thing I think I had to do uh, (laughs) career-wise. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'd like... I could see. I, I cried could. for a while after that, <laughs> after that call. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I well, I, I'll try not to ask any, but like, I won't ask any follow up questions because I could, I could just yeah. feel the the sadness in the room, not from like you, but like just envisioning, you know, having been in a butt in one of those proverbial seats, as they say. Okay, yeah. so uncomfortable conversations. Let's let's. I, normally, it's like one piece of advice about uncomfortable conversations, but for you, Steve, like you give us as many pieces of, pieces of advice as you you damn well see fit. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, just you just the thing about uncomfortable conversations is they're uncomfortable because you care. They're uncomfortable because you're at the you're at the edge of your experience. We just haven't experienced that before. And when you start to learn that the truth in your principles and values will always dictate your actions, if you're afraid to take the action, then you need to think about what you need to change or what you're violating in your values because nobody wants to be afraid. Mm -hmm. You're only afraid because you're not sure what that will mean for your uh, self-identity or the identity that you would like others to have of you. And at the end of the day, you can't control what other people think. Once you get rid of that, then, and you live in the truth and you just say, it is what it is. I'm, I'm at where I'm at. I am who I am. And you make peace with that. 
then yeah, you're ready to have an uncomfortable conversation, right? Um, you, you have to be ready to uh, lose it all. And, you know, I don't come from like the worst background in the world, but I also don't come from like the most like fruitful background where I could just like rest on my laurels. I, I kind of had to build everything from, uh, from scratch career, career wise. And, you know, my mom and dad actually designed me in that way where they made me do my homework, told me how to go figure it out. And I, I love them for that. And they were very helpful um, in, in giving me those tools, but being uncomfortable is a sign. I get excited about it. And, um, you know, I still get the heart palpitations. I still get nervous. I still get a little sweaty, but I just go through and do it, you know, and I don't, I don't worry about the consequences of it because I'm more afraid of having a vision and knowing I should do something and living with that voice in my head, telling me I should have done something, uh, than I am of anybody's criticism. Cause I honestly don't give a shit what somebody else says to me. Cause they're not thinking about me when they're going to sleep, but I am. I mean, so much there, it, like from the radical acceptance to the, you know, silencing or calming of the nerves, um, which, yeah, I, I had a crash course in that one this week, as you know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's right. When you've got the training there and you've got the practice, you know, the muscle memory kicks in. All right, Steve Taylor, how can people find you? People can find me on LinkedIn. That is always the best place to get me because... It's just the best place to get me. Or um, you can reach me at steve at revenueschool.io if you want to set up an appointment just to chat and see how I could be helpful in any way. Definitely help out with HR, sales, finance, insurance, whatever it is. Really, if you want to grow your company, that's that's where I like to be helpful. Oh my God. Grow. Yeah. Well, I was <laughs> friends, listeners, Steve and I had a very, very, very enjoyable conversation about those business models and the offer and the price and the buyers and the mechanisms with which the services or products are distributed and how or what has changed, specifically how to focus on what has changed. Said differently, <laughs> uh, yeah, if anybody needs or has some questions about how to grow revenue, like I can't, I can't recommend this man enough in a conversation with him. Also, you can come hang out with us in the Revenue Real hotline or excuse me, in the uh, salescast.co community. Steve Taylor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Listeners, truth, love, and joy, friends. Thank you as well for listening and happy selling.